Welcome. The parish is a church community in Alpharetta, Georgia, practicing the way of Jesus for the sake of others. Talks like these are just one part of how we gather to be deeply reshaped by Jesus. So we invite you to join us any Sunday morning for a full church gathering. You can find more information or contact us by visiting our website at parishanglican.org. A reading from Luke 3 and 4. The word of God came to John, son of Zechariah, in the wilderness. He went into all the region around the Jordan, proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. As the people were filled with expectation, and all were questioning in their hearts concerning John, whether he might be the Messiah, John answered all of them by saying, I baptize you with water, but one who is more powerful than I is coming. And I am not worthy to untie the thong of his sandals. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand to clear his threshing floor and to gather the wheat into his granary. But the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. Now when all the people were baptized and when Jesus also had been baptized and was praying, the heaven was opened and the Holy Spirit descended upon him in bodily form like a dove. And a voice came from heaven. You are my son, the beloved. With you, I am well pleased. Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit in the wilderness, where for 40 days he was tempted by the devil. The gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Christ. Thanks, Alan. All right, you may be seated. And uh, if that scripture passage sounds familiar, and you were with us last week, <laughs> that's because it's the exact same passage as last week. Um, you're not, you're not confused. Uh, we're going to look at that again, but today we'll look at it from a slightly different angle. We're going to apply it a little bit differently, and uh, continue to talk about what it means to be a church community living in the light. Uh, we're in this season of epiphany. The light has shined on those of us walking in darkness. And uh, we want to talk a little bit about, well, what does that mean for us as a community? And how might we be a community in the way of Jesus as, and as healthy of a way as possible? And so what I want to do today is start with just giving us a framework for life. Some of this will seem like recap from last week, and and I'll fill us in on, for those who weren't here, what we talked about last week briefly. And then we're going to apply it to a specific conversation and paradigm for how we might think about being a church community in as healthy and uh, Jesus-focused of a way as we possibly can. So that's where we're going today. Let's begin with the baptism of Christ, which is where that passage ended. And so we are given this picture of the baptism of Jesus, uh, and in Luke's version, it's slightly different than it is in some of the other uh, gospel narratives around the baptism of Jesus. And this is a familiar passage. We spent some time with it last week, but I want to anchor our time this morning with this. And in Luke's gospel, the epiphany, the words of belovedness, they are spoken over Jesus, not as he is baptized, but as he is praying after the baptism. And what happens is the heavens sort of break open, the epiphany comes, the words of God, the wind and fire of the Holy Spirit and the voice that says, you are my child, chosen and marked by my love. You are the pride of my life. And what is characteristic for Jesus 
will be characteristic for Jesus' church. And so in that same way, we see this same kind of event unfold over the church of Jesus three years later at Pentecost. And if we look at the Pentecostal story, which we'll spend a lot of time with in the months to come, uh, we actually see a lot of this exact same pattern play out. The church gathers to pray. If you recall the story in Acts 2, they pray, and as they pray, the heavens open, the Spirit descends, and there is a baptism of wind and fire and words. They all speak in new languages, this this new tongue that creates uh, reconciliation and unity. And so we too, as the followers of Christ, through the arrival of the Spirit, the inbreaking of the Spirit, In response to our prayer, we are spoken over in eternal, more than enough, capital L, love. The love that is God. And from that, we base our lives. But then, Jesus is led into the wilderness. And he goes into this wearing and wearying wilderness life. And he's tried and he's tempted by the devil there. And... uh, what is characteristic of Jesus will be characteristic of the church. And last week I mentioned this idea that sometimes I think if I can just get a clear enough picture of the belovedness of God spoken over my life, then the wilderness will be no more. The struggle will be no more. The desert of life, the, the, the times where there's wrestling, the times where I am not sure where the provision will come from, the times where I'm tried and tempted, that all of that will just disappear and everything will click. But what we see for Jesus and what we see for us is that after the belovedness is spoken, then there is a period of wilderness. And so I think this can function like a framework for our lives, like a way for us to make sense of how to think about a portion of the spiritual life is that there is this belovedness spoken over you and I, but we are then led into the context of the wilderness and it is in that context that we make sense and appropriate the belovedness that God has spoken over our lives. In other words, it's not always easy and it's not always crystal clear and it's not always simple. There is struggle, there is reckoning, there is journey, there is, there is what feels like unending desert in different seasons. There is the exposing of our idols and our demanding before God. And then there is God meeting us in the middle of all of that, providing for us, caring for us, etc. And part of the genius of what the church calendar and the reason we follow the liturgical calendar here is that it allows us to rehearse this story and this pattern in our own lives. And so we see in this season of epiphany, the beloved belovedness of God, right? And then we're led soon into the Lent season, which is the time of reckoning with the wilderness of our life. But there is to come one day the ultimate fullness that comes when resurrection is realized through Easter and the Spirit is given through Pentecost, and that is how we will live increasingly so into the day where God sets all things right. But we live in the in-between to some degree now. Okay, let me catch us up on what we talked about last week, because we actually spoke really less about the baptism of Jesus last week and more about uh, John the Baptist and his role in this story. And we'll then apply that onto some of our specific uh, hopes as a church community. And so last week we talked about, in verses 2 and 3 of this story, what happens is uh, the people gather around John. He's doing all of this baptizing work, and the people are filled with, in italics there, expectation and questions. And uh, it is my contention that underneath a lot of life is expectation and questions. 
And a lot of our hopes and a lot of the goodness of life and a lot of the struggle in life is expectations and questions. These are the things that rumble just below the surface of our lives and our vocations and our relationships. And like the people did gathered around John, we all hunger for a Messiah who will set all things right in our life and who will fill our lives with the ultimate recognition that we are beloved children of God. And so we ask, like, are you the one? And they come to John the Baptist, they're like, are you the one we've been waiting for? And you see John's response there. He confessed and he did not deny, I am not the Messiah. And I think it's important that we all get clear on those words and that we apply them regularly and liberally to different things in our life. This is not the Messiah. This is not the Messiah. Because what happens is so subtly, we start to bring these same hopes and expectations onto the things of life. And we hope that that new relationship, this new job promotion, that new town I'm moving to, this new church community I've entered into, this will be the one the one I've waited for, the one that will help the wilderness of my life fade further into the background so that everything clicks, and then we find ourselves disappointed when that does not happen. And so John says in response to them, I'm not the good news. I'm just a sign pointing to good news, to best news that is still to come. And John says, I'm not, the messi- I'm not the message, I'm just the messenger. And John says, I must decrease that Christ might increase. And so we find, too, uh, that there are things in our lives that are actually just pointing to the best news. And the problem is not in having hopes and desires. We talked about this last week. The hopes and desires, they are good. They matter to God. They are God-authored. They are God-sustained. They are God-defended echoes of the heart of God. When we find ourselves longing for beauty, for justice, for truth, for goodness, this is the heart of God showing up in our lives. Having those hopes and dreams and longings, this is good. And it's also good that we would hope that they might be fulfilled in this life. It is a lesser gospel than the one God has for us to just relegate all of our hopes and passions to the next life, to a heavenly life. No, that's not the good news. The good news, because this is the eternal heart of God breaking into our world, is that there is redemption playing out in the material and relational ways of this world in addition to the spiritual, heavenly, other ways of the next life, the next world. So having these hopes and desires is good. Having them fulfilled is good. The problem is when we start to assume the specifics of how that is going to work in our story. We start writing expectations subtly onto the story. We fill in the blanks with specific people, specific things, specific ways that this is going to play out. And then we hold God and others to those expectations that they did not agree to. And we find ourselves disillusioned or resentful or angry. The problem is when we expect legitimately good things to be ultimate things, in our lives, the longing for vocation, the desire for deep relationship, the search for purpose. These are good things, but just as John was merely a messenger pointing from good things to best thing, so those things are in our lives. So those things can reveal and reflect our belovedness. So those things flow from our belovedness, but they do not provide the belovedness and they cannot ultimately be the place of consummation in the deepest places of our heart. 
And so learning to rightly steward our expectations is at the heart of the spiritual life. Now, uh, I think you're all with me there. That's mostly what we talked about last week. I want to expand it now and apply that idea around our expectations and our questions, specifically to the context of church community. Um, Perhaps you're brand new at the parish, perhaps you're brand new in church going in general, but uh, I imagine a good chunk of us have been around various church communities for a long time in one way or another. And as we enter into this new year, I want to apply this idea onto our church life here at the parish and talk about what does it look like for us to rightly steward our expectations of what this community might be, what we hope this community might be. Uh, And I want to start by just saying that church life is a loaded thing. When we come to a church community, and I don't just mean attending worship on a Sunday, though certainly that's part of it, but when we show up to a community, we're showing up vulnerably to like share our lives deeply with one another. The reality is I think at deep levels, lots of us would be like, uh, what I care most about, what I hunger most about is relationships, is people to go on this journey with me. And so when we come to church, it's like this place where heaven meets earth in this really specific, peculiar, unique way, where the eternal thing is breaking into the mundane thing. And it all shows up here. And as such, there are all kinds of expectations that are deep in our story. There are shattered scripts that have been broken along the way. There are transcendent longings, and they all show up in this room, mine and yours, at the same time. And so when that happens, things get messy. And Dr. King spoke of the beloved community that one day there will be this deep sense of ultimate belovedness that is realized in communal wholeness. And I expect that day to be today, but it often is not, right? That day is still to come. And uh, we may think like, well, we've all been spoken over in love and we're all gathering together. And then we get confounded of why then is church both really deeply beautiful, and I believe it is, That's why I give my life to it and deeply hurtful sometimes, deeply disappointing sometimes. It can be a place of pain. And I think John gives us a clue as to why this might be happening in verses 16 and 17. So let's look at those for a second. Um, He says that there is this threshing floor and the winnowing fork of God, the Holy Spirit, is in his hand to clear that threshing floor and to gather the wheat and to let the chaff burn away. And of course, this is an image of how they would get to the, the part of the wheat that mattered, right? They would have these oxen stomp all over the grain so that the part that wasn't needed would separate and the part that was heavy and substantial and worth keeping would separate and then they'd throw it all up into the air together and let the wind do the work of separating out those things. This is what church is, right? When this is the image of community in the threshing floor. We come into this room and there is good, holy, God-given stuff here, the wheat of our lives. And there is malformed, dysfunctional, self-consumed things. And this is the weeds of our lives. And they all come together into this room and they get tossed into the air. And if we want to have relationship with one another... We don't get one without the other. The good news is it's not our job to sort it all out, right? Like, that's the Holy Spirit's job. That's the wind's work. 
But our job is to show up in a context where it is not ultimately clear yet what belongs and what is like my stuff. And so God is at work in the winnowing fork and the wind, and beloved community is formed as we show up in the wilderness at the meeting point of God's perfect love and our imperfect love. And we show up to both those things, and we should expect both those things. And that's what it looks like to be a part of a church community together. I say all of this because we recognize that this has been an isolating time, I think, for all of us. Like, I think we may lose sight sometimes in just the dailiness of all of this. Um, We're going through a really, really bizarre time these last few years, right? Like, I think all of us will look back for however long we live and say, wow, do you remember that time, that season where we navigated this pandemic and it was, there was a lot of loss there and there was a lot of isolation and a lot of division there. And as a result of all of that, when we talk about church, like our organized community life here has suffered and I think it's probably fair to say that organized community has never been our strongest suit in the first place, (laughs) okay? And so uh, I wanna say, like we recognize there's loneliness. I feel it. We recognize there is a desire to be a faith community, not just a Sunday morning church gathering. And there is stuff that happens here on Sundays that is at the heart of being a church, but not everything that is being at the heart of a church can happen here on Sunday mornings. We need other contexts, too, to appropriate the life of God in community. And so we're working on plans to develop community life and to create context for deep relationship and transformational life together. Uh, and, And we want to get really specific and tangible about that. I hope over the next few weeks to be able to share about some classes that we're gonna be doing this spring, also some events that we're going to do, uh, really fun things and hopefully really deep things. And then later on in this spring, we want to share more about uh, what we think will be a really pivotal way forward of how we gather as a church community. Um, moving into smaller communities as we head towards summer and fall to gather for deep connection. And so all that's to come. I say that now because the best way to lay the groundwork for that is that we would get clear as a community on all the beautiful and painful things that will happen when we do that. Because I think sometimes one of the subtle expectations is when I come to church, like I'm gonna find my people And this is a good desire. We need our people, right? But then we often find like it's harder than we thought or takes longer than we thought or those people are weirder than I thought or whatever, you know? And so when we mix together all those desires and hopes and expectations, it gets messy. And so my question for us as a community to reflect on over these coming months is how can we cultivate an interior maturity sufficient to truly share our relational lives together? What does it look like for us to grow and to get clear on what I need to get from Jesus versus what I need to get from you so that I can show up to my life with you as one who both receives and gives, not as one who demands and needs, and that I can ultimately then share life with you moving forward? And so I think one of the reasons why churches often default to big corporate gatherings, if we're being honest, is that it's a lot less messy than when we all get together in smaller circles. Because when you come to church here on Sunday morning, all of your stuff stays in the seat with you. 
And unless you show it to someone else, it leaves with you too, right? And we can all have these good, needed, legitimate, spiritual moments of worship and encounter with God, but then we just go home. But that's at least safe. When we gather around a meal, when we share a small group, when we share our dreams and our hearts, all the deep waters of our heart begin to bubble to the surface and be placed into hands that imperfectly hold all of that. And so we find, oh, thank you for for sharing part of that deep part of my life with me, but also like, hey, that part really mattered and it slipped right through your hands. And that hurts, right? And so if you've been around church for a while, you've probably experienced both deep healing and deep hurt. And of course, how could it be any other way? And yet sometimes this surprises us. Sometimes this surprises me. And so to build healthy community, there is a prerequisite. There is a foundation that must come first. And uh, I'm going to share what that is next week. (laughs) That's called a cliffhanger. Uh, It actually was in my notes for this week, but we're too far behind on time. So we're going to punt on that till next week. But I think there are things we can do to try to lay groundwork for a healthy foundation so we can enter into what is ahead in the healthiest way. For the rest of our time today, though, I want to name this. Um, that there is church pain, and then there is church pain, capital P pain. And if you have spent much time in church, I know many of us come into this room like hungry and hopeful and also like real guarded because there is an opening of our hearts that happens at church, and that makes the wounds hurt all the more. And I was a part of a church. There's a story for another day, but I understand, right? Like, I I know what it is to be physically escorted off the premises of a church that you've been a part of for years. I know what it is to be told not to speak to people anymore. I know what it is to see the person who you used to share life deeply with walk into the Starbucks you're sitting in, and you want to melt into the floor because it's too painful to see that person. And I want to say really clearly as I talk about us placing healthy, appropriate expectations around church, I still want to say, and I don't want you to mishear me, that there are things about church that are unhealthy at times. Church abuse, toxicity, narcissism is not okay, and it is not to be tolerated in any church, and it should not be swept under the rug, and it is right and good that we expect more from our churches. One of the great passions of my life is to see church realized in as healthy and Christ-like of a way as possible, which looks like we show up increasingly as a beloved community in the way of the servant shepherd Jesus who laid his life down for others, right? And that should be rooting out all the toxicity that we see as sometimes show up in church. And because we should expect more from our churches, there are times it's right and good to leave a church community or to push back on on something that's unhealthy in church community. So I want to state that really clearly, right? And having said that, I want to say that even in a healthy context, there will never be a relationship and there will never be a church that does not disappoint us, does not let us down from time to time. And what matters is not finding the community that never lets me down. What matters is finding a way to repair the breach in the way of Jesus when that inevitably happens. And if we have eyes to see it, 
Sometimes our unrealistic expectations not being met is a great grace because the chaff gets blown away and we actually see that under that thing was a much deeper longing that God cares for and safely will store as treasure in heaven and care for. And a deeper hope is revealed under that misplaced expectation. And if we have eyes to see it, encountering each other's weakness while around this feast is the best place to encounter it. Because guess what? If I share any part of life with you, you're gonna find out stuff about me that is less than ideal, and I'm gonna find out stuff about you that is less than ideal. And if I have to find that out, I'd rather find it out around the bread and the wine than anywhere else, because here Jesus holds us together. Here there is mercy and truth-telling. Here there is grace and reconciliation and a way forward. And so it forces us to have those difficult, honest, gracious, truth-telling conversations with each other that are at a heart, the heart of community. And having those conversations is not the sign of an interruption of community. It is the sign of healthy community manifesting, right? I always experience those as the interruption, but that is when community is actually doing its work. It's actually where real community begins. And on the other side of that, we find ironically that we get to show up as a family. And a family is made up of people who both give and receive, who heal and hurt, and who wound and worship together. And little things like volunteering, and we'll, we'll end with this, help us trade in this idea that church exists for us. And instead, we get to show up as ones who are a part of both the giving and the receiving. And so, in the wilderness, as the parish talks into the future about who we hope to be, and I have big hopes and dreams for who we hope we can be as a community, and, and already many of those are manifested just by the human beings in this room. It's a joy to be a part of this community, and it's good, and I see God showing up in the midst of it, and I want to say, the parish is not the one there's anything in you that's like this community, dot, dot, ah, nah, <laughs> give it time. We'll disappoint you too. <laughs> we will. Um, church is the John character. It's always pointing away from itself as good news pointing to best news that is still to come. And it says we get to emerge like faithful messengers in the wildernesses of each other's lives to say, I'm not the one, but I can belong to you and you can belong to me as we walk through this wilderness, as we journey together, as we wait for the increasing arrival of best news in our lives. And so Jesus patterns community for us. He has friends. Those friends still betray him and deny him. And on the other side of all of it, there is resurrection and wholeness. And what is characteristic for Jesus will be characteristic for the church. And so we will experience all that too and it is good and right to do so together. Let's take some time, we'll pray. Jesus, we thank you that you come to us through like the really ordinary stuff of life. And often in the hurt and in the disappointment, you are doing your deep work. So help us to hang in there together as we look ahead to what it means to be a church community in the years to come. We thank you for that in Jesus' name. Amen.